from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Moses at the burning bush. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. The divine name revealed. And but Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am, he said further. Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. May the living word of God speak to us through these ancient words of scripture. Our family business growing up was the sign business. Uh, my parents and grandparents worked in a, in a sign business. Um, to give you an example of something that they made, the, the New Yorker sign across the Hudson, my dad made that um, a, a number of years ago. Um, Every time we would pass a sign that my parents had made, they would look up and say, that paid for your shoes. <laughs> and so naturally, our family notices signs. So when my mom and my seven-year-old nephew, Nathan, went to Publix in Florida, they were in this strip mall, as many of those Publix are, and all of the signs on the side of the building were covered in a wax paper. And so my mom looked at Nathan, it was just the two of them, Nathan, and said, why do you think that those signs are covered in wax paper? And so he came off with a number of like six or seven right away. Well, the stores are closed. They're trying to be silly and hide the names. But of course, none of them were right. And he couldn't figure it out. And so mom decided that she wasn't going to tell him. <laughs> she was going to make him think about it and figure it out. And so they walked into Publix with him still asking her to tell him, please tell me what it is. Grancy is what the kids call her. Grancy, tell me what is the reason that they've covered it? And he spent the first 20 minutes of their shopping trip badgering as only a seven-year-old can. And so finally, he stopped in the middle of one of the aisles and he stomped his foot and he said, I don't like this. And so my mom, ever more sort of emblazoned in her mission, 
finally just gave him a little hint, but not telling him the whole truth. So she said, what might workers do that might require signs to be covered? Well, Nathan still couldn't figure it out. He spent the whole rest of the shopping trip trying to, and outside mom took him and made him look at the building, and she said, do you notice anything that might help you figure it out? Well, suddenly he stopped and he blurted out loud enough, of course, for the workers to hear, they're painting the building. See, they dripped the paint down the side of the building and onto the garbage can. Now, of course, she could have told him why they were covered, why those signs were covered, but that takes away the thoughtful process. And I think that we can all relate to this. We all have devices at our fingertips that give us any answer that we want. If we want to know something, what do we do? We Google it right away. There is no wondering. There is no thinking. We don't try to figure things out. We just go right to Google and have Google tell us the answer. Now, it solves many a marital spat, and it, of course, is great for accessing factual information. But what about the bigger concepts? What about the things that make us wonder, the things that can't be solved with a fact from Google. I think that we have lost the art of wondering, of sitting and being a little uncomfortable with the unknown. Instead of thinking and considering and discussing, we Google the major ideologies around an issue. So a particular poignant with issues of faith is communion. We could just simply Google, what does communion mean? There are many different explanations about what happens during communion. Each and every church teaching has their own. So we could say that the bread and the juice are symbols of the body and blood, and that's it. We could say that the bread and the juice or the wine, they actually turn into Jesus. They're different in form, but the same in, in substance. And every church teaches something else. But have you ever stopped to wonder why? Wonder why and what happens during communion to grapple with what you believe about it, not just with what is taught is happening. And the problem with questions of faith is that answers usually lead to more questions rather than more answers. It's why our kind of practice of spirituality is so difficult. I don't stand up here telling you what to believe, but I invite you to dig deeper into your soul and to discover what is in there. That can't be Googled. That kind of discovery and thinking and pondering, that is wonder. That is awe. And it leads us to a deeper experience of the emotions that we encounter and the meaning that they have in our everyday lives. There's a recent book written by a guy named Dr. Keltner called Awe. The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. I was also caught by that word new, the new science of wonder. And he approaches this idea of awe scientifically. And how do we quantify the goosebumps that we experience at a glorious sunset or when we're moved to tears by a powerful piece of music? How do we explain the feeling of amazement when watching a child walk for the first time or hear them utter their first words? How can we capture, how can we measure the feelings that accompany this deeply meaningful experiences that we often have on a daily basis? Well, he explored it in this book from four different approaches, the scientific, the personal, the cultural, and from a growth perspective. And each of them helps us to understand some of the science behind our reactions, explaining a little bit of the mysterious and unexplainable. So he ultimately defined the purpose of awe like this. 
Awe enables us to see the systems underlying the wonders of life and locating ourselves in relation to them. The epiphany of awe is that its experience connects our individual selves with the vast forces of life. In awe, we understand we are a part of many things that are much larger than ourselves. So essentially, wonder and awe are humbling. They remind us of our place in this world and that every human on this planet, all those who have come before and all those who will come after, that they consider themselves a meaningful part of this world. But wonder and awe place us in this larger story that extends beyond ourselves and provides us some perspective on our place in the world. So we wonder together and we ask the great questions of being and living. What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of my life? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is the purpose of life in general and of the world? Why do we die? Why is there pain? Why did God create me and all of this? We don't have concrete answers to any of these, and anyone who tells you that they do hasn't done enough pondering. Because pondering and wondering and thinking and discerning, our human nature invites us into doing this rather than always seeking the final concrete answer. Wonder and awe open up our lives to a more deep and meaningful existence, and it happens when we stop asking how and instead we ask why. That is the essential purpose of the Bible, of the Old Testament in particular, script, the scriptures from there, and of our reading from Exodus. It's strange to have this kind of a reading about Moses on the first Sunday in Advent when we're supposed to be celebrating the hope of God as embodied in the Emmanuel. But the Old Testament is really good at wonder and awe. Throughout the stories of the faith of our ancestors, there is this sense of awe and wonder about God. Who is this God? What is God's character like? What is God's relation to me? How am I understood as a child of God? And I think this passage in particular is really good at this. It's actually a Sunday school favorite, as you would imagine. Kids are really good at wonder and awe. They, they wonder really well, except perhaps for my nephew Nathan, as he wants that concrete answer. But kids are really good at the sense of imagination and wondering and trying to figure out the world around them. And so when we read the story in Sunday school, they love it. A bush that doesn't burn, but it's on fire, that is amazing. A voice without a body that speaks out of the fire, a message of changed purpose and deliverance. There are amazing things happening here that we don't understand how. But remove your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. This is a holy moment. The danger, of course, is to try to explain why the bush isn't burning. Now, scientifically speaking, this particular type of wood might actually catch on fire but not really burn up, or maybe it wasn't actually on fire at all, but the lack of water in the desert created an illusion. I'm making these things up. <laughs> we have no idea why that fire did not consume that bush. People have tried for centuries to explain it, but to no avail. But the Bible is never about how. The Bible is always about why. It's never about the scientific, it is always about the theological. 
And that is very true in this story. Mount Horeb is the mountain where we hear about Moses standing for this to, to take place, but it is nowhere preserved where that mountain actually is. If it was important, it would have been preserved in the Bible. The actual location were important, but it's not. So this is not about geography. It's about theology. It's about the why. It is about what is happening here and why it's happening. And what is happening? God is revealing God's name and Moses' divine purpose. But before we gloss over all of that too quickly, this is amazing in and of itself. Remember, the people at that time, that, especially those who were living in Egypt, they were used to many gods, each with their own personality and purpose in the world. And they didn't care about them. The gods didn't care about the people. They orchestrated events so that the gods would find the benefit. It's not about the people, it's about the gods. But in this context, Moses hears from the one true God, the creator of the universe, who reveals the divine name. Now, I'm gonna try and hold back a little bit here on my theological nerd, but the divine name is absolutely fascinating. If you look at the reading in the bulletin, if you take a look at that passage, you'll notice that there are special little words that are in what's called small caps. So like the second paragraph, the third word I think it is, is the Lord, and you'll see it's a capital L, and then a lowercase, actually smaller, but uppercase O-R-D. Anytime you see Lord written like that, anywhere in the Bible, it indicates something that we can't see in the English. It's a sign about what's happening in the Hebrew. And the name of God in the Hebrew is actually being used here. You may have heard it before as Yahweh. Yahweh is what, when we see Lord written like that, that's what's written in the Hebrew. But the name of God in Hebrew is actually unpronounceable. So even though we say Yahweh, it's not exactly the way that it's written. It contains the consonants from one word, Jehovah, and the vowels from another word, Adonai. And when they put them together, you can't pronounce the name. They shouldn't be, as they're written like that, it's an impronounceable. And so, as I said, we refer to it as Yahweh with those consonants. But it gets even more interesting when we consider the actual name that God now gives. Seems strange, right? Needing Moses to know God's name. But when we think about it, think about how personal it is when people know your name, creates a sense of familiarity. But God's name reveals more than just God's name. It reveals who God is. It reveals God's nature. The next place that we see those small caps is that name where he says, where God says to Moses, I am who I am. I am has sent you to them, to the, to the uh, Israelites. It speaks of consistency, of faithfulness, of constancy. It also could be, and there's a number of ways to interpret this, I am what I am, I was who I was, I will be who I will be or what I will be, I am the one who endures, I am the one who brings things into being, I am always I am. I'm being that I am being. I am the one who is, the ising one, the being one. I am the one who always is. I cause to be what is. There is a sense in all of these of the eternalness of God, an ongoing sense about God's name as the being one, the one who is. We can do a deep dive in the Hebrew to this one day in Bible study. I'd love to show you the way that these all fit together. But it's amazing. That by giving a concrete answer to the question, what is your name, so many more questions about the how, not about the how, but about the why, have opened up. What does the name mean? Why did God reveal it? What does it say about God's character and relationship to humanity? 
It's not about the how, but it's about the why, inviting us to wonder and to ponder and opening our minds up to more awe about who is this God. Even when we get our wish, even when we get an answer, there are more things to ponder and to wonder about. But it also makes this holiest of holies and mystery of mysteries a little bit more approachable. As Moses stood beside that burning bush, having an inexplicable experience of the divine presence, his wonder and his awe is opened up into a deeply meaningful encounter with none other than God Almighty. What happened? What would have happened if he hadn't been open to that kind of experience? What if he had turned away? Because he knew why. He knew why the bush wasn't burning, or he thought he did. What if he had assumed that he knew all he needed to know about God? What if he hadn't wondered? What if he wasn't open to a moment of awe? But instead, he encountered God in a way that changed his life, in a way that transformed God's relationship with all of God's people and left him altered in a way that was deeply impactful for himself on a personal level and for the world. These are the moments that take our breath away. Those moments when we know we've been in the presence of God, when our souls are touched and we wonder how, we wonder why, when we are so deeply affected that we are moved to tears, to gasps, to goosebumps, when our breath catches and we are blown away by a deeply moving experience. That is God. That is the absolute wonder of God coming to us. It should take our breath away. That is why as we reclaim the wonder and the awe of Christmas, we remember what it was like before we became overly analytical adults. When we think about a mom cradling her newborn baby, sitting on bales of hay surrounded by angels and shepherds and animals, when with stars in our eyes we hear about one particular star, that led the way to this newborn. We could try to explain away how Jesus became who he was. Maybe he was in the right place at the right time. Maybe he was in the wrong place at the wrong time when it comes to the crucifixion. That he was just a good man with meaningful things to say, that it's just a baby who had an interesting birth story. All babies are gifts from God after all. It takes away the awe of kneeling at the side of a cradle that holds the embodiment of God, the Emmanuel. God with us. And so instead, today, we start our journey to Christmas with this sense of wonder and awe in our hearts, wondering what it means for us and for our worlds. Who is this child and why does his existence change our lives? Struck with awe at the awesomeness of the creator of the world, daring to exist among us as one of us. It is with wonder and it is with awe that we start this journey to Christmas, knowing in our minds that at the end we discover the baby that changes the world, but wondering in our hearts and in our souls how it might change our lives.